Are you a man looking for an intensive program to help you overcome sexually addictive behaviors? Gateway to Freedom is your answer. Gateway to Freedom is a three-day workshop for men seeking to overcome any destructive sexual habits. Whether married, single, or divorced, Gateway to Freedom will help men regain hope for a new life of purity and real contentment. The workshop is conducted by experts in the field of sexual addiction recovery with decades of combined experience. Read testimonials of workshop alone at gatewaymen.com. Get all the info and register online at gatewaymen.com or call 1-800-49-PURITY. Hi, my name is Jonathan, the founder of Gateway to Freedom. Our next workshop is coming up July 26th through the 28th in Florida, just outside sunny Orlando. Space is limited, so call us today at 1-800-49-PURITY to register. That's 1-800-497-8748 or visit gatewaymen.com. Good day, radio listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. My name is Jonathan, and I'm excited to have some guests back with us that we actually had on the program last year. We've got Mark and Beth Dennison from Florida. So, Mark and Beth, welcome to the program. Thanks, Thanks Jonathan. Great to be with you. Yeah, and listeners, just in case uh, you weren't around a year ago on the program, we actually had Mark and Beth on last year, June 2018. Uh, they shared their story and a little bit more about their ministry. So you can just go into our our all access archives if you want to get um, if you want to listen to that program. We're probably going to get a little bit of a a short synopsis this time around, just so you can get for our newer listeners. You can get familiar with Mark and Beth. But uh, before we do that, I want to let you know just that um, we are listener supported. We're grateful for those who've come alongside and partnered with us. It's the only way that we can keep producing these programs and bringing you great content and great guests like Mark and Beth. Um, and so if you'd like to learn about the ways that you can come alongside and partner with our ministry and our mission, just go to puresexradio.com and click on the donate link. Well, Mark and Beth, I want to dive right in because I think there's just been a lot of exciting things that have been happening in your lives and ministry and just the things that have happened even since last year. Um, especially with some new content that you guys have been developing and also some, some new ministry that you've been doing with, with men and then with wives. And so I'd love for you to just dive in wherever you want, maybe give us a little bit of a, uh, a short Reader's Digest version of even how you guys got into this space of ministry. And then let's, let's jump into some of the things that you guys have been developing over the last year. Well, great. Thanks, Jonathan. Now, I was a former pastor and a former pastor, pastored for over 30 years, uh, three churches in Texas. Uh, during that entire time, was living a separate life, a hidden life of a sex addict. When I uh, got into recovery, which has been six years ago now, uh, recovery went well, continues. It's a lifelong process. But uh, my addiction eventually cost me my ministry as a pastor. And so we moved to Florida in 2014 to be near our son, not quite sure what we would do. And then God began to really put it on our heart that since we were enjoying a life of recovery, we wanted to help other men and women, a lot of pastors, since that's my background. And so I went back to school, got a master's degree in addiction recovery through Liberty, and began to network with people such as yourself. You've been more helpful to us than anybody. And so expanding our base of meeting other people and seeing how God wanted to lead us 
uh, we began working in early 2018 uh, with men and women. We do couples things. Uh, I do recovery plans for men, and we do things for couples as a couple with a one-day intensive. I've done some writing, which we'll get into, best working with women. Yeah, I uh, went and became a certified life coach and then went and got coaching uh, training to work with the partners of addicts. So um, did a six-month training for working with spouses at sex addicts. So I work with the wives and it's been good for us to work together and kind of um, we get feedback from spouses and we go, okay, well, this person's saying this, how would you respond as a, you know, so bouncing those kinds of things off of each other um, and keeping that perspective from the other party is, it's been helpful for us. So before we get into some of the details of the actual resource and stuff, what's the general way in which people find you? Like, how do you get connected to these couples or how do you get connected to these wives and these men? Like, how are people finding you? Been a lot of things. We write a lot of blogs for Covenant Eyes and that, that always helps. Uh, Beth writes for them and, and I do. And our website, uh, people will stumble into that. I have a good network of pastors because of my background. And so we spend about a month on the road every fall and every spring uh, going from Florida back to Texas, meeting with churches, doing some speaking, meeting with schools, pastors, uh, church leaders to just maintain a network that's already been built uh, through a life of ministry. And then podcasts such as this, people will find us. And um, so it's still a growing thing for sure because we're pretty new at this. but. Uh, a lot of word of mouth, so a lot of ways, but just trying to network the best that we can. So now once, so let's talk about, um, uh, Mark, you've, you've written a resource and you're taking some guys through this process of uh, what you call your, your 90 day recovery guide. So why don't you sort like of, that. yeah, there it is. Uh, for those who are able to see or watching this, uh, Mark just put the, the book up in front of the screen there. So, um, but for, Take, let's take us through that. Like, okay, so you've got a guy that comes to you and you've developed a process here. Um, how does this guy start? What does this look like? What's the 90 day recovery guide or process look like? Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks, Jonathan. Well, we, again, we find guys from a lot of different ways. And when they find us, uh, I will work with no more than about eight or 10 guys at a time because I spend a lot of time with them. The first thing when I meet with them, just to go through a diagnosis, uh, diagnosis process, is they've got to be desperate, absolutely desperate for recovery and ready to surrender everything over to God and to begin the process that means going all in. And once they're willing to do that, then we engage a 90-day process, which is a product of my education, training, personal background, experiences, a lot of research. And what this looks like, is that I've basically taken 12 themes of recovery, and those themes begin with acceptance and desperation, setting goals, surrender, different disciplines. There are 12 of them. And around each of these 12 themes of recovery, I've written seven lessons. And so that is a 90-day thing. That would be 84 days plus six more. And so every day they go through the workbook, and with the workbook there is a daily lesson based on those 12 themes. And with that daily lesson, they do two things. They read a Bible study that I've written on that daily theme that goes within that week, and then also an exercise. The written exercise within the workbook takes about 20 to 30 minutes to complete. So every day they spend 20 to 30 minutes in the 90-day recovery guide, and that will give them tools to point them to 12-step groups, to therapy, 
uh, biblical principles, uh, pretty expansive uh, material. And during that process, I uh, require that they check in with me every day. So every day there's a phone call or a text message or an email. We have a one-hour consultation minimum of one hour per week, and we talk as much as we need to during that time. Uh, my experience is that within the 90 days, that will jumpstart them and give them the basic tools they need for recovery. Uh, that will establish habits that they can continue for life. We customize it depending on what their specific needs are. So I've written about 30 other articles that I make uh, available to them depending on their specific needs. For example, if they travel a lot, then I augment the recovery guide with a uh, travel plan so that they, they know when they're in the hotel, things to do for that. So there's a lot of specific things for their specific needs. If they're a pastor or certain guardrails, we, we deal with every subject imaginable in the area of sex addiction. So the 90-day plan is pretty comprehensive. And um, at the end of that, I actually kick them into a one-year plan with another book I'm writing right now, which is a one-year uh, maintenance plan so that they can have recovery for life. So I've got a bunch of questions. Sure. <laughs> The, the first one I have is right there at the very, very beginning. How on earth do you assess desperation in a guy? Because, hey, listen, as a professional addict myself, right. I, I could find myself in a deeply broken emotional state and yet not have been totally desperate in terms of a broken heart. And so sometimes what can look on the outside like, I'm desperate, you know, my eyes, I'm crying my eyes out. I don't want to lose my family. I, I've, I've, I've done that myself. And then I've met many men who, man, the waterworks can come. What appears to be desperation is there. And yet the true like fertile soil of the heart has not been tilled yet. So how do you even get that help a person or how do you even recognize what desperation looks like? Well, that's a great question. And sometimes, rarely, but sometimes I'll call it off after about a week if I determine they're really not desperate because they may be contacting me because they were just caught. And if they were caught that day and their wife is all over them and three days later she's acting like it's not as big a deal as it really is and they back off, but that's pretty rare. Uh, the way I diagnose whether they're desperate is uh, there's gotta be skin in the game. Uh, it, we don't charge a lot for what we do, but it's $250 a month. And so we make sure that they pay something, even if they can't pay that. Uh, also, I make it very clear that they must read, in addition to the book, I write a daily devotional called the um, Recovery Minute. And I let them know I'm going to monitor that. I'm going to believe their behaviors, not their words. And so generally, if they are willing to do the 30 minutes a day, do the daily check-in, the daily readings, the daily devotions, the daily exercise. And during the first week, we will talk pretty much every day. If they're not doing that, I know they're not. If they are doing that, they usually are. So it's all about behavior and follow-through. And when they put in the work, generally, we have found that they, they are desperate. So we have to wait and, and kind of read their heart, but then put them to the test immediately with work to do. Now, another question I have is because so many men who enter into recovery, um, even when they might get to that, what we might call true desperation, like there's a brokenness, they're ready to really, they're teachable, they're ready to listen, they're ready to do things that might seem counterintuitive to them because somebody who's further along is telling them to do that and saying, it's your best thinking that got you here, so you need to listen to somebody that's doing better than you are. 
But what do you do then with the very real possibility that a lot of these guys are coming in with a performance orientation towards their worth? So now you're putting them kind of onto a track that says, hey, behavior does speak louder than words in terms of what recovery looks like. But then isn't there a danger then of them slipping into a performance-based mindset that then says, hey, Mark, I did my you know, devotional reading today. I did this. I checked this box, checked this box, checked this box, and all my behaviors line up. And then what happens if that guy maybe is not ingesting what you're actually trying to teach them from the grace perspective of their worth and their value? In other words, you know, how do you, how do you help fight against that performance temptation to then say, look at me, I did all the right things in recovery, and yet there's still maybe an emptiness and a brokenness in their, in their soul. For me, the one word would be community. The guy that's really goal-oriented, that does exactly what you just said, because that's the way his brain operates, he resists community. And so one of the things they're required to do as a part of the process is to get into 12-step groups. Uh, we recommend, depending on where they live, various options for that. But the guy that's really task-oriented really resists community, unless he's all in, unless he's desperate, because he, he tends to be more isolated, more of a loner. And so we really try to get them in a community. And if they resist that, we know they're not ready. Yeah. You know, the way I like to tell them, it's not everyone needs to know your story, but somebody does. And if you resist that, and that willingness to engage others uh, with the addiction, with the struggle, for me has been the biggest sign that they're not ready. It's when they're really not ready to go sit down with somebody else and say, this is my issue. I'm going to take the time. I'm going to drive to the meeting. And depending on the person, sometimes I'll require them to do 90 meetings in 90 days. Sometimes a, a uh, not so much of that because that's not what their need is as much. But for me, community really uh, shows me if they're ready to get serious beyond just doing the so-called work. Yeah, and that's one of the things that we see in our ministry all the time, too, is I can – there's two things that really indicate to me if there's been a paradigm shift rather than just a behavior modification. Like, listen, I haven't really, the, the heart, my heart hasn't shifted into a new paradigm. I'm just now kind of putting, you know, lipstick on a pig kind of a thing. Um, and the two things for me is one you mentioned is community. Like when you really remove yourself from isolation and learn how to now engage authentically and honestly and openly with other people you're telling the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, you know. But the other thing, too, and I'd love for you to comment on this in terms of what it might look like in your 90-day process and even beyond, is the cultivation of a grateful spirit or a great a gratitude. Because I almost, almost 100% of the time, I can tell when a guy's turned the corner when he starts having thankful language begin to be part of his dialogue. It becomes part of his conversation. And not just, um, oh, thank you, Jonathan, for this group. But like, man, I, I can't even begin to express how grateful I am to the grace of God. And I can't, I mean, I'm alive. I, I should be dead now for the things that I've been doing. I, and, and then just gratitude for the smallest wins in his relationship with his wife or with his kids or whatever. When I see gratitude start to grow, it means there's something of a different nature forming in his heart. And so what would you say to that, you know, as it pertains to your process, but also just even the whole recovery journey? Well, I love that you brought that up. Um, yeah, I see that same shift. They move from blaming their childhood, blaming their parents, 
uh, generally they came into the addiction because of trauma, isolation, abuse. And when they move from blaming that to saying, I'm so grateful for a second chance. I'm so grateful for a God of second chances, for a wife who really is engaging me in this process. And, and eventually, by the end of the 90 days, I like to see them get to the point of saying, I'm even grateful for my addiction because my addiction is why I'm closer to God than I was. That put me on a spiritual pathway I otherwise would not have been on. And when they move into gratitude, they go from, give me the least possible material I have to do to prove to my wife, you, God, myself, that I'm in recovery to what's the most I can do. Gratitude says, I want to do this because of the grace that has been extended to me. I want to extend that back to those around me, and I become grateful for this. And that's, for me, that whole gratitude goes back to grace. When they recognize the grace that's been extended to them, I'm not in jail. I didn't lose my wife. Even if I did, I'm still blessed to be in a pathway of recovery. Then out of that, they start uh, wanting to do the things we put in front of them out of a grateful heart, not out of a fearful heart. And I didn't just something. Um, we see it with couples that we're working with. When you see the um, addict starting to, when you talk about that first person, that performance space, that typically is the addict who puts before his wife, I'm doing this, 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 and this. And you can see the attitude is just completely different when you see that shift into what more can I do to make you feel comfortable? It's that complete shift and you see that attitude change that really is a key to understanding where they're at in the whole process of recovery. Yeah. So Beth, let's talk to you a little bit. Let's, what have you been, uh, what's been happening this last year in terms of your ministry with wives? And then how do you also see this dovetailing then with what Mark is doing with these men? Well, um, it's, it's just grown tremendously. I'm working with a lot of um, people one-on-one in coaching, but also doing groups. And I really enjoyed that. I've spent um, the last few months writing a 12-week recovery workbook for partners and just finishing that. I'll be to the publisher within the next couple of months. And um, working that material with the groups, um, you know, each week we look at a different topic, whether it's trauma, um, coming up with a safety plan when they're first finding out about the reality in their life and, and how to just adjust to that and what they need to put into place to, to feel more comfortable in that situation, how to deal with triggers, um, you know, dealing with grief and those kinds of things, working with the ladies through that's been, been a lot of um, fun, just seeing them grow in that process. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a similar question to what I asked Mark, you know, about, you know, talking to him about what is the kind of what's necessary for a guy to get into recovery. And there's that need for desperation and, and, you know, kind of the, the brokenness element and like all in and everything. What do you see in wives? Like, I mean, it's obviously a completely different dynamic in terms of the healing that they need to enter into. First of all, what do you see as the characteristics that sort of show that a, a wife is maybe ready and willing to do that? And then what are some of the key obstacles that you see that prevent her from really wanting to step into the healing process? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to reverse order there for you. Um, typically the resistance is the wife seeing that the husband is the one with the problem. If he would just fix his problem, we'd be okay. So why do I need to spend the time doing this? Why do I need the recovery? Um, and it's when they recognize that they are, their life has fallen apart. You know, they may not like to accept that 
his problem has become her problem. But the reality sets in that she can't function in any area of her life with all this trauma that's around until she learns how to get some puzzle pieces in place to start making sense of this. And so you can see that shift again. It's kind of a shift in attitude when she recognizes it's that desperation that I can't do this on my own. I'm, you know, my whole life's falling apart. I can't manage my kids. I can't, I can't go to work. How do I do this? How do I get up each day? Um, and so helping her to have some tools to put that in place, you know, you can see a big shift there in the attitude. Well, it seems to me like the, the extra layer of difficulty, I think, for a wife, if I can put it that way, is that she's having to break through a barrier of, of acknowledging that what has happened in her life is not her fault, but it has absolutely affected her health. And I think that's a really, I mean, that's like an extra layer that she has to go through. Whereas the addict is just realizing I got to own what I have done. (laughs) So I am responsible for what I have done. Whereas a wife is saying, I don't bear that same burden. I'm not responsible for what was done to me, but I still have to respond to how it has affected me. And I feel like that's a whole extra step that a wife has to take. And I'm always telling husbands, I'm like, you need to be as empathetic as you can be and as patient as you can possibly be. Because in many ways, I think the wife carries a much heavier burden in terms of what healing looks like in her life. Because in the same way she couldn't control the, her husband's pain against her, she also can't control his recovery. And so in, in many ways, she's in, in what feels like a powerless position. So how do you help wives kind of gain a sense of, if I can put it this way, power in their own lives for their own safety and health? Um, that's exactly where I, where I come from with them, is to emphasize you didn't cause it, but the, the two-edged sword of that is you can't control it either. Like we want to know we didn't cause it, but we'd like to think we have some impact over how to control it. And when you come to that realization, um, it can be difficult, but that does not mean they're powerless. There are obviously things they can control in their own life. And part of that is learning um, a safety plan. What do you need uh, to communicate to your husband that is an absolute necessary component of you staying in and trying to make this work? What do you need to feel safe? What do you need to be able to move forward? And getting her to take ownership of that and, and to focus on herself. Instead of focusing on her husband, what does she need? Now, she can communicate that, but then he still has a choice. And she then has the opportunity to respond, however, yeah. you know, is best. So what do you see, you know, the same way we kind of talked about men in recovery and kind of seeing, hey, boy, we can tell a corner has been turned when there's authentic community and when there's gratitude. What do you see in wives when you see that they've kind of turned a corner? Recognizing, and, and I want to make sure that our listeners understand this on both ends. When, I, when we're dealing with a, an addict, we are saying, listen, you have to own your process of recovery, regardless of what happens in your circumstances, whether your marriage makes it, whether you keep your job or whatever, you have to own that, right? In the same way, we want to communicate that to a wife as well, right? There's a process that you have to go through for healing, whether or not your husband chooses recovery or not, whether or not. So how can you sometimes tell when a wife has kind of had that, that she's turned that corner, there's going to be healing in her life, regardless of what happens in her circumstance? I, I see it a very evident when she starts taking power in her own life, when she starts recognizing that she can speak up for what she needs, 
for so many, for so many, so many women, many women, because of what addiction does to the dynamics of the marriage, most of them have lost their voice in that when they come at speaking to their spouse about, I think there's an issue, what's the problem? And they're shot down or they, the addict deflects it or turns blame. Then they start second guessing um, their intuition and their ability to really even reason things out. When they get that power back and they start recognizing, you know what, I do have choices here I can make. I do have control over my life. I can see when they start speaking up for what they need and they start taking ownership of their own life, their own self-care. They're not expecting someone else to come in and rescue them and do that. They, they shift from being a victim to taking some power back and doing what they need to be healthy and to move forward. And it's a big shift there. And would you, would you, would agree, you, would you agree? Would you agree that in, both, agree of that in these, both of these? Sorry. Sorry. Would you agree that in both of these situations, situations um, community is vital for being able to both recover as an addict, but also heal as a wife? And, and what do you see in terms of community and why that's so vital for, for women in this process? It's so important because so often they feel alone and isolated. They feel like Nobody else could understand that. And it's not exactly a, a topic you would discuss over coffee with just anybody. And so they feel like there's nobody they can discuss this issue with. When they start talking to other women who are in similar situations and first recognizing they're not alone, but also learning from other women what they have done in their situations, it gives them some tools to deal with and it just empowers them in a really a special way. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this. Um, we've got a couple minutes left here. And what I would love for each of you to do is, you know, we've got, we've got listeners out there that are husbands and wives. We've got listeners out there that are facing these very same kind of situations where there's brokenness in the relationship uh, because of, you know, a husband's addiction. I would love for each of you to just maybe give a final word of encouragement to, you know, Mark, you give a, a word of encouragement to husbands that are out there, wherever they are in the process of recovery. Maybe somebody is out there and he has not come out of the dark and he's still, you know, hiding or trying to straddle the fence between, you know, being all in versus kind of keeping his uh, breadcrumb trail back to his old ways. And then, and then Beth also just talking to those wives, um, just what word of encouragement would you give to these couples out there as they're trying to just take whatever the next step is for them. Can we mention a little bit about our ministry as a part of this? What's that? Can we mention our ministry as a part of this? Absolutely. We, we want to close with letting people know how to get in touch with, uh, with y'all and your resources. Guys, what I would say to you is you cannot do this alone. Uh, if you could do it alone, I would have figured it out over a 30 year period of not doing it alone. You cannot do it alone. And whether we partner with you or not, we'd love to just talk to you. You cannot do it alone. Our ministry is called There's Still Hope because we know that no matter where you are, God's grace can extend to you. None of us is too bad to be saved or too good to be lost. Uh, God offers to you hope, and you cannot do it alone. So reach out to us. Let us walk through the process with you uh, because when you engage that process with someone else who's been where you are, then the process becomes so much easier. Uh, the, the walk becomes straighter, the light becomes brighter, 
but you just cannot do it alone. We'd be honored to partner with you and help you through that process. And I would say um, to any spouse who's just discovered that you're married to someone who's dealing with this addiction, for you, it seems like your world is falling apart and that there is no hope for healing in your marriage. There's no hope to ever feel normal again, to ever feel joy again. I just want to encourage you that there is hope. You can get beyond this. It won't be easy. It is a lot of hard work. And we know that your spouse has a lot of hard work to do. Unfortunately, you've been thrown in a situation where you have a lot of hard work to do too, but you're worth it. You're worth it to experience healing and that healing can come to your life and your life cannot just heal from this, but it can become better as you become um, more aware of taking care of your needs and how, how you can have self-care in your life and how you can speak up for what you need and there is healing in your future. So mm -hmm. reach out to, to other people. Don't do this alone. As, as Mark said, all of us are a lot smarter than just one of us. So reach out to other people and, and get some help. Yeah. Well, Mark and Beth, thank you so much for being with us. Tell us again um, the website where folks can get more information about your ministry and your resources. It's called There's Still Hope. And it's our website. It's there'sstillhope.org. And if you go on there and want to sign up for our daily devotional, that will give you a link to everything we're doing, things we're offering, resources. There'sstillhope.org. Our cell numbers are there. We're always available and love to be involved with men and women in recovery. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Mark and Beth, for being with us. Thank, thank you. you, Jonathan. God bless you and the great work that you're doing. Well, thank you so much. And listeners, of course, we're always glad that you've decided to join us. And uh, if you want to reach out to us, you can um, reach us at puresexradio.com or you can hit us up on Twitter at puresexradio. And we look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.